Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul C. Bryson, and you can get the latest updates from Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery by following at CLE Clinic HNI on Twitter. That's CLE Clinic HNI. And new this year, find us on LinkedIn at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology. Today, I'm excited to be joined by our first returning guest, Sarah Sidlowski. Dr. Sidlowski is the Associate Chief Improvement Officer at Cleveland Clinic and the Audiology Director of the Hearing Implant Program of our Head & Neck Institute. You can follow her on your favorite social media channels, and we recommend going back and listening to our previous episode from August of 2022. Dr. Sidlowski, it's great to have you back on Head & Neck Innovations. Thanks so much for having me back again. You know, for our new listeners, let's start by having you share some of your background, where you're from, where you've trained, how you've come to Cleveland Clinic, and maybe an update on sort of your current roles. Uh, Sure, happily. I originally grew up in Michigan, and I decided to pursue my clinical doctorate in audiology. I originally was really excited about patient care and, of course, wanted to help as many people hear better as I possibly could. I then realized that I wanted to do that not just in direct patient care, but in administrating programs and also in teaching students. So I went back to pursue my PhD. That brought me to the Cleveland Clinic. And eventually I became interested in the business side of healthcare as well. So I went back for my MBA. Yeah, well, it's great. Um, You were a bit of a trailblazer for our group, and I tried to follow in your footsteps to to get the same degree in the same program. So I I always want to recognize and thank you for, you know, providing that spark and impetus to to pursue that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think it's so important that we recognize that healthcare has many dimensions, and I think it's really important that all of us who are clinical providers also understand the bigger picture, policies and regulations, and how they impact the care that we're able to provide for our patients. Yeah, you want to try to have a systems mindset so you can maybe navigate a little bit better and try to enact the programs that you want to enact. Yes, absolutely. Well, to kick off 2023, you've been busy. You've, you've recently presented at several meetings, including the Ohio Academy of Audiology, the National Academies of Practice, and the American Academy of, of Audiology. Can you give our listeners an update on some of the research you and uh, your group here at Cleveland Clinic have presented? Sure. So there is a theme, I would say, across the research that we've presented, and that's really how do we connect more people to care? We know that many people who have hearing loss aren't receiving the care that they need. There's roughly 40 million Americans who have hearing loss. The number is even greater worldwide. I think it's around 500 million people who have hearing loss. And we also know that only about 20 to 40 percent of people are using hearing aids who need them. And we know that among people who need cochlear implants, only 2% to 12% have them, which is really just so disappointing. And so most of the work that I do is around how do we remove barriers to care? How do we make sure that hearing health is important in people's minds? And how do we make sure that people who need care are able to access it? 
So the first study that we presented on was related to cochlear implants and single-sided deafness. So this is a population that historically has not been candidates for cochlear implants. You used to have to have hearing loss, very significant hearing loss in both ears before this could be an option. And then we started thinking, you know, we have two ears for a reason, and one of them is not a backup. So why do we wait until both ears have hearing loss before we try to do something about it? And so given that mindset, we started to look at each ear more individually in our clinical program, and we were finding that our single-sided candidates are actually some of our most successful recipients. And I think it's in part because we were catching them early. We weren't waiting until the other ear progressed. And so we went back and looked at our outcomes for those patients. And in particular, we looked at those patients who wouldn't necessarily be your typical candidate, those who don't meet FDA criteria because they still have some pretty good hearing, even in their poor hearing ear. And what we found is that it doesn't matter how good your hearing is in the other ear, hearing loss is still really significant. It's really impactful, objectively in terms of speech understanding and subjectively in terms of the handicap that people were feeling from their hearing loss. And we found that offering a cochlear implant provided benefit across all of our patients, whether they had an asymmetric hearing loss, where they still had hearing loss in the better ear, or if that ear was totally normal. So that was what we shared at the Ohio Academy. And, and the audience there, of course, is many audiologists. And so the purpose was to make sure that our referring providers and our partners who see patients for diagnostics and hearing aids know that cochlear implants are a viable option, even in candidates they wouldn't historically have thought of. So I was really proud of that work because I think it helps to push the envelope, move the needle, connect more people to the care that they need. I was going to say, I, I, you know, aside from, you know, uh, sort of spreading the word and working with your co colleagues within audiology, I know you've undertaken, you know, pretty sustained efforts with primary care providers as well. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, that's the research that we're presenting at National Academies of Practice and that we're also presenting at the American Academy of Audiology. I'm really proud of that work because I believe so strongly that we can't wait for people to make it into our audiology practices in order to help them with their hearing. And we have the perfect partners and primary care providers who see these patients you know, on a regular basis, they're probably the people who are going to have the first opportunity to ask about hearing. And there's a lot of research that shows that patients trust their primary care providers. If their primary care provider tells them something is important, they're a lot more likely to take action than if they have to be self-motivated or if they have to wait for a specialist to tell them. Unfortunately, there was uh, some research that came out that we were a part of in the last year or so that suggests that primary care providers also aren't aware of what hearing loss really is. They don't know what normal hearing should sound like. And there's a strong opinion among the primary care community that there's nothing that can be done to improve hearing, which of course is not the case, but they may not have had exposure to some of the research that would suggest you know, people can do better. So the work that we're doing here was very much in partnership with physicians in geriatric medicine as well as in primary care. And what we did is we embedded hearing screening tablets in their practices so that as a normal part of the rooming process, they could screen the hearing of all of their patients who are 50 and up because they're more likely to start to have signs of hearing loss. 
We also had them ask a few key questions. For example, are you concerned about your hearing or is anybody else concerned about your hearing, your friends or family? And then we also asked the question, how, is, how important is, is it to you to improve your hearing today? And we're still working on our data analysis right now. But interestingly, some of what is emerging is that about two thirds of people tended to say, I'm not concerned about my hearing and nobody's told me they're concerned about my hearing. About two thirds of people failed the screening and about two thirds of people said it is important to me or very important to me to improve my hearing today. So we're taking away a few key messages there, I think. One is that more people have hearing loss than they realize. If you ask someone who has hearing loss if they do, and they say yes, they're right, and they're very reliable, and we know that we should move them forward for more comprehensive testing. But if you ask someone who has hearing loss if they do and they say no, then obviously they're very unreliable, and that's the majority of people actually. And that's in line with a lot of the existing research that you can't tell what you're not hearing. I also think an important message is we're probably asking the wrong question. We tend to ask, are you worried about your hearing? Do you think you have hearing loss? People might not want to either admit that or they might not realize it. But I think if we turn that question around and say, do you want to be hearing better? We might do a better job of grabbing people who would acknowledge, yes, there are situations where I'm not hearing as well as I want to be. I mean, it's super important, right? It's how do you break down that barrier? How do you get that awareness? How do you get the, the patient to, to perhaps know that there's options and to maybe care more. You know, there's also been some new findings that I'm sure you're aware of that were published at the end of last year around the connection between hearing loss interventions and cognitive decline. This seems like a big deal, you know, to, you know, a lay uh, consumer of this information. Can you give us some background on this? And, you know, how does this dovetail with what you just described? Sure. So this is really exciting research, and it's not because it's anything that's surprising. If you asked any audiologist, we all would have told you for a long time that if you have hearing loss that you haven't managed, it's going to impact many aspects of your life. It could be cognitive decline. It could be how connected you are to friends and family, how vital you can stay in the workplace. It could be being at higher risk for falls. We've even seen instances of greater mortality. So hearing is so essential, but there was never good evidence in the literature that really supported that. And the impact of that has been that it's been really hard for our profession to be able to integrate screening for hearing loss, coverage for hearing aids. A lot of the things that we know are, are important for the public, it's difficult to move forward without the evidence that it has this greater impact. So much of the research that's coming out now, and this has really just become you know, a hot topic, everybody's looking into it, of course, now, is what is that impact? Number one, we have to quantify how much of an impact there is. And number two, if we do something about it, does it help? So a lot of the early evidence is related to the first question. So there's been a couple reports in The Lancet that suggested that hearing loss in middle age is the single most modifiable risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. That, of course, catches people's ears because no one wants to have that cognitive decline. They might have thought, eh, hearing, maybe it's important, maybe it's not. But everybody agrees cognition is important to health. 
And so now there has been additional evidence that suggests not only is untreated hearing loss related to that cognitive decline, but also we're starting to see emerging evidence that if you do something about it, it can help, which is really key because it's one thing to know that it's a problem. It's another thing to know that there's something you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, just in the neurocognitive space, modifiable risk factors are are a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems that once those diagnoses are rendered or or the disease state is, you know, underway, it, it's really hard to, you know, go back. Yes, I think that's so important. So most people wait until they can't tolerate their hearing loss any longer. And that's one of the reasons that our study was so important because it's really aimed on catching people earlier getting them the information that they need to make informed decisions, creating a place to have a dialogue about what your options might be, and I think bringing it into the health space. Historically, I think we think about hearing loss, number one, as something that's just related to aging that we have to deal with, something we have to get used to. And then there's also been a big push lately to think of it more related to a device and putting it into the consumer electronics space. Of course, hearing aids are now available over the counter, and I think this is an important advancement in terms of increasing access. But I also think that people have to recognize that hearing is something you need to invest in, that it impacts every aspect of your life. And so the first step is always to get your hearing checked with an audiologist to find out, do I have hearing loss? How much hearing loss do I have? What kind of hearing loss do I have? is over-the-counter an appropriate option for me? And if not, then to talk about prescription hearing aids or cochlear implants. So to have that first step of talking with your primary care provider about concerns you have or the results of a failed screening creates a space to know where do I go next. And that's something that I think we're missing right now. Yeah, I mean, I I congratulate you on all these contributions. It, It seems like a very, you know, active space and lots of, you know, exciting, you know, cross collaborative opportunities, you know, as, as we wrap up, you know, what's some final take home message or messages for our listeners? Sure. Well, I I think that one of the most amazing things about the Cleveland clinic is that we have such breadth and depth of experience. And we have all of these wonderful colleagues in many different specialties. We probably don't take advantage of those connections and collaborations enough. So I think that we are uniquely positioned to really lead a lot of these efforts to connect with primary care, to make sure geriatric medicine knows how important hearing health is, and to worry less about who owns this specialty and focus more on how are we going to reach people and how are we going to move them to care. Uh, So I'm very excited to be a part of Cleveland Clinic and to be able to be a part of this research that's going to move the needle. In general, I would say, you know, our work is going to continue to focus on making sure that we remove these barriers uh, to access, to make sure that more people can have this care, and really just to spread the message that, you know, our ears are vital and you have one set and they are going to impact so many aspects of your life. And it's just so important to, to invest in them, to make them a priority and to know that they're key to health. There's no backup ear. There's no backup ear, yeah. but they're both important. Well, Dr. Sidlowski, thank you for joining us again here on Head and Neck Innovations. I look forward to the next update from you. Thanks so much. For more information on audiology services at Cleveland Clinic, please visit clevelandclinic.org audiology. 
That's clevelandclinic.org slash audiology. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral, please call 216-444-8500. That's 216-444-8500. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org forward slash podcasts. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic experts in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org forward slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time. Thank you.